Hello there, and welcome to episode 78 of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. All right, so I'm fired up for this episode because we have a ton of things to talk about, and all of them are positive. Uh, it's been a while since we last spoke, but this time around, we have a new CBA. One is in place, baseball is back, the offseason has resumed, my goodness have things happened Whew. Um, between free agency and blockbuster trades that have taken place there's too much to cover honestly um, and, and the Blue Jays are heavily involved with a lot of them and I'll get into that uh, in a moment here but you know first things first it's great to be back right it's great to actually be able to talk about baseball related things, not have to continue to bitch and moan about the CBA negotiations and how the owners wanted to play a PR battle and all that. I'm not gonna get back into all that, but still, it's great to finally be past all of that nonsense and to be able to, again, talk about actual baseball things for a change, which is nice, you know? Um, so let's dive right in here and talk about what's gonna be featured on this episode. So, among other things, we got Yusei Kikuchi signing with the Blue Jays, solidifying their starting rotation. We got a Andrew Vasquez signing, the little nice depth bullpen option the Blue Jays have kicking around now, um, along with their other options they have down there already. Then you have their payroll following these moves, what it's projected to look like, how much money they have left remaining to spend, what their options are, what holes they have left to address, how they could you know, fill those holes with which players and through which avenues. So we're gonna get into all of that. Um, but first, let me get a lot of you caught up on things you need to know around the AL East because some things have transpired here uh, over the last 24 hours. So, you know, it's a little difficult to keep up with. Um, so starting with the New York Yankees, who made a blockbuster deal with the Minnesota Twins late Sunday night, acquiring Josh Donaldson, of all people, and a shortstop that Minnesota originally acquired less than 48 hours before Sunday night's trade. Uh, IKF, Akina, uh, Isaiah Kinefalefa. I, I probably butchered uh, that pronunciation, but um, really good shortstop, good defensively, uh, has won a gold glove previously before. He can play like a million different positions, so uh, really strong acquisition there. Um, at least from a shortstop standpoint for the Yankees. Although they gave up Gary Sanchez, which is intriguing, uh, and, and Girashella as well, who was a, a good defensive third baseman for the Yankees as well, former Blue Jay too, uh, you know, a few years ago. Um, but yeah, that kind of stirred the pot a little bit uh, as well. They also acquired some uh, minor league catcher who looks like the most jacked person in baseball. 
Um, so that's interesting to note as well. It's probably still a few years away, um, or at least probably at least one season away from being a regular at the major leagues, but you know, notable nonetheless. And then earlier today, which is now Monday, the Atlanta Braves made a blockbuster trade, acquiring Matt Olson from the Oakland A's. And that's notable because two reasons. One, you have Freddie Freeman still available, which is intriguing for the Blue Jays because there's been numerous uh, rumors floating around throughout the last few months that the Blue Jays have interest in him and had interest in Freeman prior to the lockout. So could they revisit that? idea or plan now that you know it's probably official or you know unofficial um because no one's going to confirm it but Freeman's not going back to the Braves right they got their replacement and Matt Olson they gave up a massive haul of prospects to get him which is puzzling because they could have just spent money and retained their franchise icon but no, they didn't want to spend money because the uh, Braves ownership is apparently cheap, which is not surprising, but still, uh, they took that route. Um, so at least Matt Olson won't be a New York Yankee, which is good for the Blue Jays because that was speculated about uh, earlier this offseason. So that's something. But, you know, from Freeman, ugh. You know, I, I I hear all the roster construction roster construction um, issues that acquiring him may bring. You know, because he's a first baseman, he plays the same position as Vladdy, and I understand that, right? That's fair. That's a fair argument to make. You know, but at the same time as well. Given the fact that the Blue Jays are desperate for a reliable left-handed bat and have been for years. If you have an opportunity to acquire Freddie Freeman, you got to take that and figure out everything else afterwards. Because putting aside the difficulties that it would that it would create, um, you know, defensively to figure out, okay, where's Laddie playing? How, how often is Freeman playing first? All that. Despite everything that that would bring. From an offensive standpoint, if you have George Springer leading off, Laddie second, Freeman third, Hernandez fourth, I'm just guessing at this point, but... You know, that'd be a pretty decent top four. Not to mention the rest of your lineup. You know, that, that'd be pretty decent, right? And, you know, we, we don't know how high Rodgers wants to spend. But for a guy of Freeman's caliber, those types of players don't come around often. And... You know, if, if there's real interest, and there might not be, but if there is some real interest 
from Freeman's camp to come to Toronto. Not come home, so to speak, but, you know, he does have some family ties to Canada, so, you know, it would be coming home of sorts, even though the West Coast is really his home, and it makes more sense for him to go to, say, the Dodgers, right? But, I don't know, I, I just think if you're the Blue Jays, you gotta explore that avenue as legitimately as you can. Uh, and I'm sure they have, right? Ross Atkins, Mark Shapiro, the whole front office, they're a smart group of people. They know um, how to do business properly. You know, we've already seen that so far this winter with Gucci and Vasquez. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see where this situation plays, how this situation plays out and go from there. But I wouldn't be counting out the Blue Jays in this hunt at all. So, um, but yeah, let's get into the moves that the Blue Jays have made. And let's begin with, you say, Kikuchi, because... You know, even though he's not a, I guess, well-known starter or, you know, front of the rotation arm, this is a good signing for Toronto. It's a really good signing for Toronto because they needed one more pitcher at the back end of their rotation, right? To just solidify their depth because now, if healthy, you can have a, a starting five of Kevin Gosman, Jose Barrios, Hanjin Ryu, Alec Manoa, and Yusei Kikuchi. Not to mention, you have a plethora of options beyond those five. In Ross Stripling, possibly Nate Pearson. We'll see um, how he looks this spring and how he's performing. But then beyond those two, you also have Thomas Hatch, Zach Logue, Bowen Fr Francis, who... Um, was part of the return that the Blue Jays got in the Rowdy Telez deal uh, last season. So Anthony Kay as well. Don't forget about him, even though I think he's better suited for the bullpen. Um, you know, you now have that depth that you traditionally want every season um, for your pitching staff because we all know most cases... It takes more than five starters to get through a season between, you know, guys needing an extra day of rest here and there, injuries, um, and, and all those other sort of factors that you have to take into account. Um, so I, I really like the signing, even though Kukuchi didn't have the greatest of performances last season with the Mariners. Um, you know, he was decent, but there were some, there are some concerns um, that fans should have about his results from last season. So let's get into him a little bit. Uh, over his 157 innings pitch, he posted a 441 ERA, but ballooned to a 523 expected ERA. Overall, he finished with a 1.1 uh, Fangraphs war rating, which is definitely respectable for your fifth starter. Um, but that 523 expected ERA really, you know, catches my eye, at least um, on the concerning side of things. But, you know, he, get, he gets a fair amount of strikeouts, right? A 24.5% clip last season compared to a 9.3% walk rate. 
Um, gives up a fair amount of contact, 242 opponents average. Um, but the biggest thing with him is he gets bit sometimes, or he got bit sometimes last season with allowing too much hard contact. And ultimately that resulted in a fair amount of, of home runs as well. Uh, you know, overall he allowed a 47% hard hit rate against, which was a career worst for him, which is why largely he had that 523 expected ERA. Um, he, didn't, he didn't allow too many fly balls, just a 30.3% rate. But on the other hand, he did allow a 20.6 home run to fly ball ratio. So, you know, again, coming over to the AL East, if those numbers don't change, that could dramatically impact his performance with the Blue Jays, right? You know, there are a lot of band boxes in the AL East, um, you know, especially at Rogers Center, right? That's not a pitcher friendly ballpark. So, if he can't keep the ball on the ground and if he continues to allow a lot of hard contact, that could get him into trouble. But at the same time, there are some, you know, signs of optimism for Kikuchi. You know, he, he does have a you know, good amount of velo on his fastball, a decent amount of spin as well. His, his four-seamer average at 95 miles per hour last season, which, you know, that's pretty, uh, you know, there's, there's not much to complain about there. Um, but the biggest thing for him is, I think he needs to make some adjustments with not only the usage of his four-pitch repertoire, which features the four-seamer, a cutter, a slider, and a change-up slash splitter, which, you know, is still fairly new for him. He's still kind of uh, developing it. Um, but the biggest thing I, I think for him too is location it is key for him. Uh, he got into trouble a lot of times last year with his slider and cutter where far too often they stayed in the middle part of the zone and didn't break, uh, away from the, the heart of the plate. And that's a big reason why he allowed so much hard contact and so many home runs as well. Um, you know, his cutter gave up the most home runs of all of his pitches, which was 10. Uh, his slider gave up the second most at eight. Um, that's concerning to me. But as for his changeup, like he only used it 10 and a half, uh, 10.5% last season. And considering it generated a 39.6% whiff rate uh, last season, he's got to use that more. And I think if, you know, getting to work with Pete Walker should benefit him, uh, along with the rest of the Blue Jays coaching staff. I think they can help him work through some of these issues. Um, you know, he utilized his four-seamer 35.6% of the time in 2021, which, you know, considering his velo on his fastball and the spin, and he does get good um, vertical and horizontal movement with that four-seamer. So I think keeping it around 35%, it would be uh, smart um, for him moving forward. But, you know, maybe using his cutter less than 35% of the time as well, I think would be um, useful moving forward. I think if he uses his changeup more to around 15%, maybe sniffing up closer to 20%, that would make him an even better um, strikeout pitcher as well, create a lot more swings and misses. 
Um, especially because, too, um, he needs more of an out pitch against righties. Um, you know, the slider works great, but when he can't control that, he doesn't really have anything else. You know, he, sure, the, his four-seamer posted a 30.3% whiff rate last season, but you can't just always use that in two-strike counts, right? You got to keep hitters on their toes. So if he can't locate his slider, he really needs to have more confidence with his changeup. So I think that's something Pete Walker can help him with moving forward again, along with the uh, improving his location a lot more as well with his cutter and slider. Um, but overall, I really like the deal for the Blue Jays, you know, especially the way they structured his contract, because overall they gave him 36 million over three years, but they structured it so that he's going to make $16 million this season and then just $10 million in 23 and 24. So if the concerns that he has with his location and usage, pitch usage, if they're not fixable, then, you know, sure, you're tied to him for two more seasons, but only at $10 million. So by no means did the Blue Jays break the bank on Kikuchi. So... You know, I, I think that's a great move for the Blue Jays moving forward. Now, for the other move that the Blue Jays made, um, not as notable, right? Um, it's more just a depth bullpen signing with Andrew Vasquez. We don't have the financials yet, but we do know it'll be a one-year deal for him. Another lefty, but he's a bit of a monster size-wise, like six foot six, 228 pounds, He's a big guy, um, but he is more of a, pro, uh, a project of sorts. Um, you know, he has briefly spent some time in the majors over the last few seasons, uh, split 2021 between the Dodgers and Twins organizations. So, um, you know, any anytime you're getting a guy who the Dodgers were recently... Uh, interested in or had possession of uh, it's a good sign right you know um, considering how well or how talented their coaching staff is and development systems are um, but you know this is a guy who has some favorable results um, particularly in the minor leagues during his time um, with Minnesota's AAA affiliate last season, uh, he posted some really good strikeout numbers, some really good ground ball uh, results as well, like a 37.4% uh, strikeout rate and paired with a 61.8% ground ball rate. Like those are two key strengths for a lefty coming out of the bullpen, but he does have some control issues. Uh, you know, he did perform to a 12.1% walk rate with the Twins last season. And he also allows home runs at times as well, like a 29.4% home run to fly ball ratio. And that was only on a 22.4% fly ball rate. So, you know, when he did give up fly balls, they generally left the yard, which is not always good for a reliever. Um, 
<laughs> but you know again similar to Kikuchi working with Pete Walker and the Blue Jays coaching staff they could carve out a gem here in Vasquez like he's only 28 right he's still got time to develop um and he has some good stuff like he's got a knee breaking curveball he also flirts with a a sinker as well um you know so there's something there it's just a matter of can the Blue Jays harness the skill that he has and help him produce consistently because it's almost like when Vasquez is on he's untouchable and when you do touch him you're just gonna hit softly soft contact on the ground and you know as a lefty that's extremely valuable right so you know in a sense this could potentially turn into a steal of sorts for the Blue Jays which wouldn't be the first time they made a move like that in the offseason, right? We all know what happened with Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon last year. Um, but at the same time, too, when he's not on and when he's struggling on the mound, he's going to be all over the place where he's walking runners or walking batters around the bases. He's giving up home runs. And he becomes a liability on the mound. So, you know, it, it's kind of a hot and cold situation with him. Where you want to trust him. You want to believe in him. Because you see his stuff. And you can see his potential. But at the same time, you can't 100% trust him either. Because he can't perform consistently enough. So, it'll be interesting to see if there's any adjustments that the Blue Jays help him with. Um, this spring and over the course of the season. Um, you know, they did sign him to a major league deal, so that would make us assume that, you know, they see him as somebody who could open the season with the Blue Jays. Um, so, I mean, if it doesn't work out, he still does have one minor league option remaining that the Blue Jays could use. So, you know, if push comes to shove, push comes to shove, they could send him down to AAA, have him continue working on his mechanics um, so that when he does come back up that he can perform consistently, but um, that remains to be seen. So it's kind of a wait and see on that front, but still intriguing nonetheless. Now, as for the type of moves the Blue Jays could still make before... I guess opening day, right? Because spring training for the Blue Jays is gonna have gonna begin on Friday, so you know it, it probably is unrealistic to expect all of their business to be finished before then, right? I, I think that probably goes for all 30 teams across the majors. It's gonna be very difficult to get everything tied in a bow before the season begins um and and there's no real deadline to do that either you just you want to give your players enough time to prepare for the upcoming season before it actually gets here um so you know ideally you get your main uh deals out of the way with first and the blue jays have obviously done that with kikuchi especially for a pitcher you want to give him as much time as possible 
um, to get stretched out before opening day. Um, but I think the Blue Jays have a lot of options remaining here. Because according to Cott's baseball contracts, Toronto's projected payroll or CBT payroll right now is a smidge over 172 million. And, you know, that's up $6 million or so from last season or where last season's payroll finished. But with the CBT increase to $230 million, there's a ton of space here for the Blue Jays to spend. Now, I don't know if, again, Rodgers is going to ultimately commit a significant chunk more. But, you know, at the same time, there's no reason why they couldn't spend up to $200 million. Right? Because even then, you're still $30 million below that first level. Um... So as a result, if that's the case, right, if they're willing to spend upwards of $200 million, the Blue Jays, at least from a projection standpoint, could still spend like $28 million ahead of this season. So, you know, does that keep them open for Freddie Freeman? Absolutely. And, you know, I still think their bullpen could benefit from one more reliever, especially if, if they can add a high leverage arm and there's still a handful of them available in free agency. Like there's Ryan Tapera out there. Um, Andrew Chafin is available. Colin McHugh, you know, um, the White Sox are reportedly still looking to trade Craig Kimbrell, right? Kenley Jansen, even though I don't think he is really a realistic option for the Blue Jays, he's available in free agency, but you know, uh, There's no shortage of potential fits for Toronto. And given how much, you know, at least tax space they have, there's no reason why they can't pursue a top guy, another high leverage arm, in addition to improving their position player group as well. Because, you know, I think you have to at least add an infielder. I think bare minimum, if there's only one more um, addition the Blue Jays make to their position player group, it needs to be an infielder. Whether it's someone who's capable of playing third base or second base, doesn't really matter to me. Ideally, you get a third baseman just because that's a more valuable position. And I think there are more options out there currently that it would be easier to acquire a third baseman. But at the same time, if we're talking about Jose Ramirez, he can play both third base and second base. So, yes, if we're thinking, you know, hypothetically here, Jose Ramirez remains atop of my wish list. That being said, the more this offseason continues, 
the lesser I think Cleveland will ultimately deal him. Because there was a report that came out Monday afternoon that Cleveland is is searching for you know high level position players. They're not actively shopping either Shane Bieber or Jose Ramirez. So you know whether or not any of that is true, I think this fact remains, and that's. If the Guardians are going to part with Ramirez, it's going to take a groundbreaking offer, like one probably that would top the package that the Braves just sent to the A's for Matt Olson. Like, I think it would take more than that to get Cleveland to say, yeah, okay, we'll trade Jose Ramirez. And I don't think the Blue Jays want to make that type of offer because if they were, they probably would have already. What, what kind of offer would that look like? Honestly? I think it may include Gabriel Moreno. And he's untouchable for me, personally. I would not deal him at all. He's the catcher of the future for the Blue Jays. So, you know, I would be willing to give up Jordan Groshans, Elvis Martinez, Maybe one one or two more top prospects. But even then, you know, if you take four top prospects and throw on Guriel, like maybe that gets it done. I, I'm just not sure at this point because I don't know how seriously Cleveland is interested in dealing Ramirez. And that's fair, right? He's on such a team-friendly deal over the next two seasons. He's an MVP caliber player. Like, similar to Freddie Freeman... Players like that don't come along very often. So when you have one on your roster, you're not just going to give them away. Even when you're a, a supposedly small market team. But at the same time, you know, Matt Chapman is absolutely available, right? Oakland is rebuilding. It seems like they're just going to tear everything down because um, they may even deal... Uh, their catcher, Sean Murphy, who still has a lot of control. He's still fairly young, but it, it's it seems like their owner wants to continue flooding his pockets because Oakland's going to become a revenue-sharing team again. So they're going to continue to get more money, but they don't want to spend that money or that increase in, uh, in money that they're going to be receiving. So, you know, that's a whole different issue in itself. But, you know, from the Blue Jays standpoint, Matt Chapman wouldn't be the worst acquisition to make. And, you know, even though he's coming off a down season, he's still one of the best defensive third basemen in the majors, which would automatically make the Blue Jays better just from a defensive standpoint. And, you know, sure... His strikeouts are alarming, right? And they're increasing as he ages. And he's only a few years away from free agency too. So that's something you got to keep or something you have to keep in mind. But 
in Toronto, in the AL East. Like, I, I just think his bat would play really well, even though he's right-handed. Um, I think it'd be a decent decent fit, depending on what the package would be that you, have to, you would have to send back to Oakland. Um, and then you have free agency, too, right? You may not even have to make that type of trade package if you want to just take the route of spending more, which, again, the Blue Jays could have the ability to do if ownership gives the sign-off. You know, like, there's still players out there like Correa, Story, Bryant, even though I I don't think Trevor Story's coming to the Blue Jays. It just doesn't seem like the right fit because he is wholeheartedly against changing positions. And, you know, if the Blue Jays were to acquire a shortstop of that caliber... I don't think he would solely play shortstop. Like, I think he would need to be open to playing, like, third or second. Because I don't think the Blue Jays want to fully move Bo Bichette off a shortstop. But I think it would be beneficial to maybe split his time between short and second. Um, And I think that's where somebody like Carlos Correa would potentially be a better fit. Or even Chris Bryant because of his versatility. Um, But... You know, we'll, we'll see, right? Um, the bottom line is the Blue Jays have a ton of tax base. And if they want to, they could still have a ton of money to spend. And given that they just spent, they just committed $36 million to their fifth starter. I'm thinking they're not done spending a sizable amount of the remaining tax base. Now, traditionally, or historically, the Blue Jays work in silence, right? We all know that. When they're going to make a move, they're going to come out of left field and make it. And you're not going to know where it came from. You're not going to hear that it was close. Usually, at least that's how things go with this front office. So it's hard to predict what their next move will be. But given where the current market is shifting where it's kind of going away from pitchers and and moving towards the position player group. It's certainly possible that we could see the Blue Jays follow that same route and, you know, potentially like there were some rumors that they were interested in Jonathan VR, even though that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because they don't need a serviceable backup. They need an a absolute starter, right? They, they're probably going to platoon Espinal and Biggio and potentially, you know, Otto Lopez and Kevin Smith, whenever. If they, they factor into that equation too, likely they would position or platoon all those players at one spot and, and hopefully get a bona fide starter at the other position. So VR doesn't really meet that description, even though he had a decent year last year with the Mets. He's not a starter, right? He's an off-the-bench kind of guy. If you have an injury, sure, he can fill in for, you know, extended an extended length of time. But, you know, he, he's not the move that, that does it for the Blue Jays. So I wouldn't read too much into that. But, you know, there's also the outfield as well. Um... You know, the, the Blue Jays prioritize defense, 
right? Or at least want to. They want to improve their run prevention and defense. And with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in left field, they can't really do that. So, you know, would they make a run at someone like Michael Conforto or Seiya Suzuki, who appears to be close with a deal with the Padres, but not done as of yet? Um, you know, would they make a trade for someone like Cattell Marte, who, you know, would probably cost a lot in prospects from the Diamondbacks, but would be a very good fit on the Blue Jays as well? Um, you know, would they potentially go after somebody like Brian Reynolds from the Pirates, who, again, would cost you a lot in prospects, would, but would be a very good piece on the Blue Jays? It's all like, again, there's just so many options the Blue Jays can take here. It's just a matter of waiting to see which one they take. So it'll certainly be interesting throughout this week and into the following weeks as well as spring training games begin, which up here in Canada, especially in Toronto, will be such a great sight to see those palm trees down there, the warm weather, players back on the field playing games. Oh, it's just a beautiful time of the year. And I am all here for it. But that does it for this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed my update on all of the Blue Jays' current happenings in free agency. Uh, And hopefully all of you join me next time for another edition of Blue Jays World Update. But until then, I'm your host, Thomas Hall. And now you're up to date. And please remember, wear a mask, wear it properly, and get vaccinated. Thanks for listening.